0: Well, good morning, folks. Welcome to Grace. If you have your Bibles, uh, why don't you grab them at this point in time? And if you don't have your own Bible, you can uh, look in the pew backs in front of you and grab uh, your very own pew Bible. And turn with me, if you will, to the book of Revelation. It's easy to find. It's at the very last book of the Bible. So if you're opening your book, turn to the very end and you'll find the book of Revelation. And there we will get started in chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5. Well, today uh, we are wrapping up our summer sermon series entitled, The Power of Praise. We've been looking at what the Bible has to say about singing uh, as a church, and we end that today with a sermon entitled, The Permanence of Praise. The Permanence of Praise, as we uncover and discover that our praise to God in song as Christians and as his church will never, ever end. It will follow us all the way into eternity and beyond. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. Actually, Revelation chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 4 and 5 is where we will begin today. Let's pray, and we'll dive in. Father, be with us this morning as we look into your holy and inspired and trustworthy word. Father, we're grateful for these uh, summer weeks where we've discovered um, why you've given us uh, uh, the ability to sing. Father, we proclaim your truth as we sing, and we praise your name. And uh, it's a a privilege to us also just to to pray to you through song. And Father, we pray that our singing would be better uh, because of the time that we've spent together, that our songs to you would be uh, more um, intimate and personal and more glorifying to you. Father, this morning as we turn our eyes towards this last book of the Bible, it has much to say about our singing to you, for eternity and what that might look like. And so open our hearts through your spirit that we might be sensitive to your word. In the name of Jesus, our God and King, our Savior and Lord, we ask it. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, have you ever thought about what heaven will be like? If you're a Christian, I would venture to say that you have probably thought about this once or twice. What will heaven be like? I hope you've thought about it a little bit, because about a year ago, we did a whole sermon series on heaven. So hopefully you've thought about it a little bit. Uh, I I found one local church that asked this question to some of their children. What will heaven be like? And here's some of their responses. Let's watch this together. It's going to be like stuff in heaven. The stuff that's in the world. Even in Texas, even in California. I would have a zip line. Because then I can, like, get, like, a paper towel and then jump on it and then it would hold on. And then I can, like, swing down it. I will wear sparkly stuff in heaven. A pretty dress. TVs. I think there's going to be every food on earth in heaven. Bread and not cereal. Blood and juice and fruit. Like watermelon, maybe some strawberries. fries. There's not McDonald's in heaven. We won't even think about getting hungry. You don't have to go to grocery store at all. Just heaven has it all. We'll never get cold or sick or hungry or anything. We'll just be happy. I'm not going to fall down in heaven. I already got an alley. i all over my foot. It'll be okay. In heaven! And I really miss God. That's the last thing I can tell you about heaven. Alright, so, some things we know what heaven will be like, because the scripture tells us, and some things we don't. So as to whether there will be zip lines in heaven, I do not know. I know my son hopes that there will be, but there is one thing that we know will exist several things. But one thing we're going to focus on this morning, that we know will exist in heaven. You want to take a guess what that is? Song, singing. Ah, you've picked up the theme after seven weeks. Very good. Yes, singing. There will be singing in heaven. So let's take a look at the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, we're going to close out our sermon series by looking at a few key passages in the book of Revelation to give us an idea about uh, what heavenly worship could be like. And along the way, discover the permanence of praise. So if you're in your Bibles in Revelation 4, let's take a look in chapters 4 and 5, where we see worship being given to the Lord by what I will call heavenly creatures. Heavenly creatures in chapters 4 and 5. So we begin with the first song in the book of Revelation. Now, if you've read through the book of Revelation, you may have picked this out or you may not have. But the book of Revelation is actually chock full of singing. There is lots of hymns and worship going on in the book of Revelation. We often think of it as just telling us about future events, and it it certainly does. But it also points us towards the worship of the Lord. And we see it over 20 times in the book of Revelation. God's people, or his creation, sings to him. And the first of those is found in chapter 4. So, Jesus gives John, in the book of Revelation, a picture of future events starting in chapter 4. And starting in chapter 4, running all the way through the end, I think we see yet to come future events. Here's just a quick picture of what that looks like. Starting in chapter 6, we see the uh, unveiling of what I would call the tribulation period, where the Lord and the Lamb, Jesus Christ, pour out his judgment upon the earth. We see in chapter 19, uh, the return of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. We see uh, in chapter 20, the judgment of the lost. And in 20 and 21, we see the Recreation of the heaven and the earth. This portrait then of Revelation begins in chapters 4 and 5. And in chapter 4 and 5, we see two heavenly scenes. So we get a picture through the eyes of John of heaven in chapters 4 and 5. And these two scenes are really meant to prepare us in the grand scheme of the book for what is an outpouring of divine judgment upon the earth. But it begins. With worship, So let's take a look at chapter 4, where we see a, a song of praise given to God the Father. There in chapter 4, this first scene, the place from which the judgments of the tribulation originate is emphasized. And that place is none other than the throne of God the Father, so there 's a picture of god 's heavenly throne room in Chapter Four in both of these scenes in chapters four and five, what we are going to see is a whole host of creatures, uh, a whole variety of created beings. I think they 're not human. that is somewhat debatable, but what isn 't debatable is what they 're doing because what these creatures i 'll call them heavenly creatures are doing is they 're singing around god the father 's heavenly. Let's begin in chapter 4, verse 1. We'll read this section together. After this I looked, said John, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. So he is going to get a glimpse of heaven. And the voice I had heard first speaking to me like a loud trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So we're getting a picture of future events. Verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there were what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Now notice what they're doing. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and to him who lives forever and ever, they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So, in this open opening heavenly scene in the book of Revelation. The the veil is open, so to speak, and we get a glimpse of the throne room of God, and we see these creatures. We have lots of questions about the creatures, what they look like, and what they represent, and what they are, but if we can just set that aside for a moment, and notice what is emphasized here. These created heavenly creatures are singing unto the Lord, right? They sing of his holiness, his power, his eternality, and of his glory. So friends, what then is one of the chief occupations of these non-human occupants of heaven? Clearly, they sing to the Lord. But that's not it. We see This happening in a sister vision, and it's in the next chapter, chapter 5. So if you're in your Bibles, just flip a page over. We see praise given to the Father in chapter 4. But in chapter 5, we see a song of praise being sung to the Son, to Jesus Christ. Just as in chapter 4, the place from which these future judgments that we'll see in just a second come is emphasized. The place is not so much emphasized in chapter 5, but a person. In chapter 5, the person of Jesus, of Jesus Christ from which these judgments will come is emphasized as the person of Jesus opens a scroll, if you will, uh, opening up the first series of judgments in the book of Revelation. Let's focus then our attention to the response of these non-human, I think, created beings to Jesus initiating what will be the tribulation period. Notice what they do, starting in verse 6. Then I saw, John says, a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Right? Same set of creatures. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise then i heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped friends what we have at the end of chapter 5 is really a crescendo of praise that culminates these two heavenly scenes as the creatures in the first song praise Jesus because he was slain, because he purchased people, the church, by that death, because he made us a a kingdom of priests. And one day we will rule on the earth with him. But this is really not even the last time that we see these these heavenly beings singing songs of praise. They do it in chapter 4, they do it in chapter 5, they do it in chapter 7, in chapter 11, and in chapter 19. So what is imminently clear, I think, is that a part of heaven, at least from these uh, non-human creatures, is that they sing and they praise the Father and they praise the Son, showing us that worship is one of the chief occupations of the occupants of heaven. But you may be asking, as I was, okay, that's great. If funny-looking animals sing songs of praise to the Lord in heaven, that's all good and well but I don't have eyes in front and back, and I don't have wings and all that stuff. What about me? What about us? Us human creatures. Well, as we move then into chapter 7, we see praise and worship coming, not just from uh, these created beings, but from human beings as well. So if you have your Bibles, flip a page or two to the right to chapter 7. There we see worship from human beings. Let me connect the dots briefly for you as we jump from chapter 5 into chapter 7. We left off in chapter 5, and we'll pick up in chapter 7. Well, where we left off, right, Jesus had taken this scroll. It's a scroll of seven seal judgments to kick off the future tribulation time. It's really the first uh, in a series of three that we see happening in the book of Revelation. And the heavenly beings erupt in praise, right? Well, what naturally follows, if you go on reading in chapter 6, is that Jesus opens the scroll. And we see six of these seven scroll judgments being poured out upon the earth. We see that a conqueror will come upon the earth. There's war, there's famine, there's death in mass numbers, there's martyrdom for some Christians, and there's a series of natural disasters. We see all of that happening and unfolding in chapter 6. And at the end of chapter 6 and verse 17, we get what's really a pivotal question, and it opens up to what we see in chapter 7. So if you want to take a look at chapter 6, verse 17 in your Bible or on the screen behind me, we see that there are people on the earth, both great and small, both rich and poor, both important and not important in the world's eyes, and all of the people on the earth unbelievers, they ask an important question. They say this in verse 17, For the great day of their wrath, that is of the Father and of the Son, for the great day of their wrath has come. And then they ask this question, And who can withstand it? So the unbelievers in all of the world ask a question. The wrath of God is coming upon us. Who can withstand it? Well, as we move into chapter 7, we get an answer to that question. Who can withstand the wrath of a holy God? We see one answer in two groups of people. One answer in two groups of people. The answer is simply this. Only those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus as their Savior and begin to follow them as their Lord will be saved from God's wrath, both in the tribulation period and in the day of final judgment. Now, two groups of people give us this answer. The first is found in chapter 7, in verses 1 through 8. If you you look there in your Bible, you'll see a description of this first group of people. These are people who are delivered, saved out of the tribulation period. We see that 144,000, I believe that they are Jewish converts, Jewish converts unto Christ. We see that they are sealed or protected from the upcoming rounds of God's judgment. So there's this first group of people. They, they place their faith in Jesus. But there's a second group of people, and it's that group, a group of people I want us to focus on in chapter 7, verse 9. And this group of people are Christians. They are Christians, not necessarily of Jewish origin. They're just people who place their faith in Christ, I believe, in the tribulation period, and lose their life for their faith. They lose their life for their faith in Jesus. And we get this picture in chapter 7, starting in verse 9. They are safe and secure, gathered around the throne room of God in heaven. So we see another picture of heaven. And yet now, the occupants that we focus on are not kind of weird creatures. They're people. They're human beings. And they sing a song of praise to God for his salvation. Notice verse 9. After this I looked, says John. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, nation, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice. What are they doing? They're singing a song of salvation. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I don't know if you watched any of the Olympic Games over the past Couple weeks, but it's always a a sight to behold. Specifically, I don't know if you were able to catch the opening ceremonies. Now, this is a picture from the opening ceremonies. I didn't catch the opening ceremonies. Hopefully we can get to that picture here shortly. Um, but if you were able to to see it, I saw some scenes from it. And it was an incredible picture, right, of images and lights and all sorts of ethnicities, all sorts of nations were represented, right? And they gathered together for this uh, kind of glorious purpose of, of athletic prowess and excellence, right? And it was just kind of a, a celebration of seemingly unity in the world where all sorts of people come together, enjoy a celebration, Well, as I saw that, and as I see it every four years, right, I think, that's what heaven is going to be like. But it's going to be so much better, right? This is just a hint of what we see in this scene in Revelation 7, because there are people, redeemed people, who place their faith in Jesus, who lose their life for Jesus, gathered around a a a throne, right? And they're singing to the Lord, We know that this group are martyrs because we see it in verse 14. John, uh, the angel says this, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. See, this group of people in Revelation 7 represent the fulfillment of the great commission. Remember that? Remember that? Matthew 28, right? Go into all the world, make, make disciples of all the nations. There they are, right? In heaven, in the tribulation time, the content of their song is a hymn of praise for God's salvation. He delivered them from their persecution through death, through the tribulation period, and ultimately, he, he delivered them from sin and from hell. And so they sing a song of praise to their Savior. So we see here a picture of people in heaven, like me and you, and they're singing. But not only that, if you jump ahead to chapter 15, we get one more heavenly image. We, we see a song of praise for God's salvation by people in heaven in chapter 7. But if you take a look in chapter 15, in chapter 15, we see yet another song sung by people in heaven. And they sing a song of praise to God for his justice in meting out wrath during the tribulation period. Starting in verse 1. John says this, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them, God's wrath is complete. So God, here in chapter 15, is about to end the tribulation time with one more round of plagues. Chapter 2, And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing before the sea. Who was it? Those who had been victorious over the beast, a reference to the Antichrist, and its image, and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God. And what were they doing? And sang the song of God's servant, Moses, and of the Lamb. This is what they sang. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and bow before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Speaking about the judgments that had come and those that are yet to come. And as we discussed just a week ago, they sing two songs. Did you catch that? Two songs. The first one is an old song. That is, the song of God's servant, Moses. Most likely, they're singing a song from Exodus chapter 12. But they also sing a new song, the song of the Lamb, a song where they extol the justice of the Lamb in the tribulation period. So yet again, we see human hymnody in heaven, right? Affirming that our praise indeed is permanent. So, that's been a really quick look at four heavenly scenes. Non-human creatures sing to God in heaven. Humans sing to God in heaven. Okay, so hopefully you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and one day you will be among the throng who does that. But how then does knowing that our praise is permanent, that we will be singing to God forever and ever, how does that affect what we do now and today and in our local church? Well, I see two implications as we close our sermon this morning. The first is this. Our singing is a rehearsal for heaven. Our singing is a rehearsal for for, for heaven, and and number two, not only is it a rehearsal, um, but it is also um, a reflection. It's a rehearsal and it's a reflection. What do I mean when I say that our singing is a rehearsal for heaven? Um, I don't know if any of you in high school or maybe in college were involved in any plays, musicals, things of, of, of the, theater, things of that nature. I know Austin is here with us, so he can tell us a little bit about, about that. I never had uh, the privilege of doing that, uh, or let's just say I was scared to death to get on stage, so I didn't want to do that. But my sister did. She was kind of a natural at that. She liked to sing and, and do a one-act play and all that stuff, and so she was involved in it, so I, I, I would, as a good brother, I would go support her. But not only would I go see her plays, but I would actually go to what they called the dress rehearsal. You know what a dress rehearsal is, right? It's when they go through the play in actuality, but it's not the real play, right? It's a practice session, and they get all dressed up and dolled up, and they treat it as if it's the real thing, but in reality, it's not. It's the final preparation for, but not the real performance, because, of course, the real performance comes probably the next night, right? Friends, this is what our singing together now is. It's a dress rehearsal for our eternal performance, if you will, in, in heaven. I find it interesting, Martin Luther, the great reformer, what he would do with his local church. He would have his local church come to the church midweek to practice singing. They would practice their singing, both new hymns and old uh, to prepare themselves for Sunday but he also recognized that Sunday in its in and of itself in his writing was but mere practice practice for heaven practice for what we will be doing for all eternity so friends when we gather together to sing week after week we are refining our passions for the lord We're practicing our praise, right? We are arousing our desires. We're training for the titillating task of tossing our thanksgiving before the throne room of God forever and ever and ever. So we better get used to it, right? We better learn to enjoy it, to to savor it. Because quite literally, we will be doing it forever, for the rest of our existence. Rob Smith says it this way. He says, if you don't like to sing, you're not going to like heaven, because it will be full of singing. Pastor John Calvin tells a story of explaining heaven to one of his new converts. He said this, he was talking to one of his converts, and the man said, pastor, you know this new eternal life that I have? Well, I've been thinking about it, pastor. What are we going to be doing all day long in eternity? The man asked the pastor, Pastor uh, Miller says, Well, we'll be praising the Lord forever, asked the man. For 10 million years, we're going to stand around and praise the Lord? Well, yes, said the pastor. For millions and millions and millions of years, he said, couldn't we just stop every now and then and, and kind of mess around a while in heaven, said the man? See, I don't know about you, but when we think about this concept of singing to the Lord forever and ever, we think, is that all we're going to be doing, is playing harps forever and ever and ever? And the answer is no. Singing is not the only thing that we will be doing for all eternity. Lots of other things we'll be doing. But I have a feeling that singing will be preeminent. We will be singing quite a bit. So we have to ask ourselves some, some questions. If we don't like singing now, why? Why why is that? Do, what, is there something that's in our heart that raises up to give praise to the Lord? Because literally, we will be doing it forever. So when we come on Sundays and we stand to sing, remember, we're simply in a dress rehearsal, right? We're simply in a dress rehearsal. The performance, it, it's, it's yet to come. Now, that's our first implication. Singing is a rehearsal for heaven. But not only that, and this one is compelling to me, our singing together is not only a rehearsal for heaven, but it is a reflection of heaven, It's a picture of what is happening even now in this very second in heaven. H- have you thought about that? What's happening right now in heaven? Probably lots of things. But you know one of the things that's most certainly happening right now in heaven is there are some creatures, human or not, who are praising the Lord and they're before his throne and they're singing songs to him. And so when we gather Together to sing, people should get a sense and a glimmer of what heaven will be like. Again, Smith hits it on the head when he says this. More than that, our singing is a reflection of what is even now taking place in the heavenly realms. He says, What greater incentive do we need to learn to sing the praises of God here on this earth? Not only are we praising God to God and also to one another, but we are. Simultaneously, this moment, when we sing, joining our voices with those of the hosts of heaven and preparing ourselves for that day when we will see the Lord face to face and sing his praises forever. So the question we have to ask is, is our singing together a good representation of heaven's singing or a bad one? What are we telling people about heaven by how we sing today? What are we communicating about God by the way we sing? About his worth, his glory, his power, and what it means to be a follower by the way that we sing. So this, here's like, I'd like to close. Here's how I want us to close both this sermon and our sermon series. I can't think of any better way to close off this sermon as we have pondered the biblical truth that, etern- that, that singing will be our, our eternal vocation in part. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask the praise team to come, and we're going to close off our our sermon and our sermon series by singing a a very familiar hymn, Amazing Grace, by singing of God's grace that has saved us and responding in song. And we're going to close with this verse. It reads this way. You're probably familiar with it. When we've been there, what, 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, what? We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. So let's pray and we'll sing and be done.